go. Great job paying attention this morning. Well, uh, now the rest of you can open your copy of God's life-giving word to the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, and we will be starting in verse 17 this morning. And uh, as you turn there, I want to welcome all of our guests. If you're new with us, uh, we would love for you to take a moment and download our Redemption Hill Church app. It is our way of getting to know you. If you'll just fill out that digital connect card uh, when you see it there on the homepage, or you can stop by our connect area in the lobby, and we would love to get to know you and uh, just give you a gift and uh, say what's up to you later this week. Well, uh, speaking of the kids, I want to share a little story with you about uh, my, my, one of my kids. And, um, and, and it just so happens that it will shed some light on my amazing parenting skills along the way. Uh, so get ready. Uh, so, so I remember uh, back when uh, our daughter Kessed, uh, that's K-E-S-E-D, all right? It's not Kessed, it's not Kessed, it's not Kessed, it's Kessed, all right? Uh, she was five years old and we were at the beach uh, in Florida with Marsha's side of the family. And we were enjoying the sand and the sun, and we were getting out in the waves, doing our thing, and we found a bodyboard. Does everyone know what a bodyboard? We're not talking about a surfboard that you stand on, but a bodyboard that you can kind of, you know, lay on and ride in on the waves. And so we were having fun out there. I was trying to demonstrate, you know, how a bodyboard works. And, uh, you know, Parker, uh, she was out there. She was, you know, gave it a shot or whatever, but, uh, but she wasn't too interested but Kessid, our five-year-old, she has a little bit more of an adventurous spirit. And so I thought, like, this is my moment, you know, to teach Kessid how to, to ride the bodyboard. And so like a good parent, I was, you know, instructing her and holding on to the board and, you know, showing her how to catch the waves. Just really started out super shallow. And it was, like, going great. Man, she's laughing. She's giggling. It's like an amazing time making these beautiful memories. But then I went into full amazing dad mode. And I thought, this is a great idea. She's been trained on the art of bodyboarding for at least two tries in these shallow ways. I think we can go out, you know, waist high and let her go on her own as she holds on to the board and rides into mommy and her sister. Wow. You know where this is going, right? We, we get out there we're waiting for the wave, and you probably know all people are created equal, but not all waves are created equal. And so this wave comes, and it's getting bigger and bigger, and it comes in, and Kessid is trying to hold on for dear life, but we lose both Kessid and the board. And you know how this, the board goes underwater. It pops up. Kessid is nowhere to be found my wife may have been screaming at me as I go in to pick her up out of the waves. And needless to say, Kessa did not have an amazing experience that day at the beach. And I was in big, big trouble. You know what I'm saying? I mean, this, is, this was just a, a fun, fun, not so fun experience uh, at the beach that day. But I can remember Kessid, she was fully equipped outside of having a responsible dad in the water with her. But she was fully good. She had these floaties on, both arms. She was, she was ready to stay on top of the water. 
And, and these floaties are, are designed to keep her above the water, right? But as we grow, as we learn to swim, we take the floaties off, we throw them aside, and we enjoy the water for ourselves. But, but there are some people who love the ocean so much that they not only discard the floaties, they not only enjoy the, the, the water sports and doing all of the things that you can do in the ocean, but they even go next level, and we're talking next level depth, because they get scuba diving gear that helps them explore the underwater world. And this is a picture, this is a picture I want you to think about, that God invites us as we get to know Jesus. And maybe some of you, this is brand new for you and you're learning who Jesus is and you're learning what it means to know God and follow him. But as we walk with Jesus, as we live life with Jesus, what we discover is this. God wants to take us deeper and deeper and deeper in our relationship with him, but not only him, in our relationship with one another. And so this morning we're going to, to talk about what it looks like to get below the surface. To get below the surface, not only with God, but also with one another. And so the question I have for you this morning in light of what we're going to see here in Paul's heart and how he, he loved people is this. How much do you care? How much do you care? And the question here is, how much do you care about people? How much do you care about one another? This is a real question I want you to really wrestle with here this morning. Because it's, it's one thing to say, you know, we, we all, just in our common humanity, like I think we want good for one another, right? Like we, we wish people, unless we're kind of really struggling, really unhealthy, even evil, we want people to experience good things in life. But we're talking about, we're talking about more than well wishes here today. We're talking about caring for people to the depths of their being. We're talking about pushing below the surface to care for someone's soul. And so we read about this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, starting in verse 17. Listen to what Paul says about how he cared for the Thessalonians. Listen to what it says. But since we were torn away from you, brothers and sisters, for a short time in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face. Because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone, and we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in the faith. 
that no one be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For we were with you, when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction. Just as it has come to pass. And just as you know. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. The encouragement I have for us this morning is simply this. Care enough about people to care for their souls. Got it? Care enough about people to care for their souls. As we work our way through these verses, we're going to see three characteristics, three ingredients of what it looks like to have genuine care for the people around us. And this care must first begin, you're not going to be surprised, right, with genuine love. Genuine love. If, if you want to see a picture of someone who lived life below the surface, who cared enough to care about people's souls, just read the Bible and, of course, first and foremost, look at Jesus, but then look at Jesus' closest followers, his closest representatives, Paul and Silas and Timothy. They were certainly some of Jesus' closest followers and, and those that represented him in the faith. And what we have in 1 Thessalonians, I maybe shared this before, but you need to understand that if you want to see Paul's heart for people, if you want to see Paul's heart for ministry, we're talking about, when we talk about ministry, we're talking about serving people, loving people, caring for people. Go read 1 Thessalonians and 2 Corinthians. We see Paul's heart on these letters as he talks about how much he loves people. And we see in verse 17 that, that he had a great desire to be with them. He begins in verse 17 and he says, But since we were torn away from you, brothers and sisters, for a short time in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face. He says that they were torn away. Some translators Translations say they were separated. Um, even one translation says this, that when we were made orphans by separation from you. This, these words torn away, uh, they sometimes were used to describe either children being separated from their parents or parents being separated from their children. And this is how Paul felt about these people in Thessalonica. If you remember uh, the story from Acts chapter 17, as we've shared, as we worked our way through this, and we can catch you up to speed this morning if, if you uh, weren't with us there, that, that Paul and these leaders of the church, they were only in Thessalonica for maybe three weeks to three months. And then they were run out of town by persecution. And so Paul is talking about, hey, we didn't get to spend much time with you. We were torn away from you. And yet we loved you so much. We love you so much that we wanted to get back. We wanted to see you again. And Paul says, look, we, we enjoyed connected hearts with you. And our hearts are still connected. I love how he puts it. He says that, that we were torn away for a short time. And, and then what does it say? In person, not in heart. 
I don't, I don't know about you, but I, I'll sometimes I hear people say, and, and I'll even say it myself, when, when you want to be with something, maybe there's a, a special event like my sister's birthday uh, this week, or uh, sadly we, we had a family member, one of my great aunts, lived a very long life, thank God, but uh, she, she, she died this past week, and uh, of course the graveside service was there, and, and you know, we, we said things like, we're with you in spirit. And, and when I was younger, I didn't really, if I can be honest, I didn't really like the sound of that, that phrase, like, oh, with you in spirit. It kind of felt like this cheap substitute, you know what I'm saying? Like, oh, you can say that, oh, I'm with you in spirit, but, but not really truly care about the people or about what is happening in someone's life. But as I've gotten older and as life has taught me a few lessons, I, I have a greater affinity for what Paul says here that, that if, even if we can't be with someone in person, we can be with them in spirit. This is what Paul says in Colossians chapter 2, verse 5. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. It makes me think back to uh, our sabbatical. Many of you know Pastor Reddy is going on sabbatical uh, starting tomorrow, this week. And we prayed over him and his wife, Teresa, last week. And, and a few years ago, Marsha and I got to go on our sabbatical and just take an extended break from, from, from ministry and, and, and life here in Boston and got to travel a bit. And, and one of the things that we loved, in fact, the thing that we loved the most outside of just being able to really unplug and, and focus on our relationship with God was having the extended time to focus on our relationship with one another. And it was amazing. Never in our married life were we able to spend so much time side by side together. And our anniversary is in the summertime, July 22nd. And I got Marsha this gift that she was appreciative of, but she didn't really love it. You know what I'm saying? You can know. You can just know when it's like, that didn't go so well. So we were in this, you know, shop, and she found this little necklace, and it had these, like, it's like in a, kind of a chain, but it had these two beads that were side by side, and my wife is very smart. You know, she's very intelligent. She knows how to persuade, and she said, look at these two beads. That's me and you. We're, <laughs> and this is our word. This is our word. Listen, we're inseparable. We're inseparable. And, you know, that was true because we were just spending so much time together, and yet that was also a very persuasive way to get me to buy the necklace, right? And that's what happened. But, um, but, 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 but that's, that's how it is when you love someone, that you want to be with them, that even when we're apart, I'm thinking about Marcia throughout the day. When she calls up, I'm, I'm always going to pick up to see how she is, to see what's going on. And this was Paul's love for them, that though he was torn away in person, he wanted to be with them. And we see another lesson here that, that love, when you have genuine love for another person, you know this. You want to spend quality time with them. I mean, it's one thing, listen, I'm like the king of text message. You know, I love to text people. I love to check in. I love to say what's up. I love to, to you know, stay connected. And that's, that's great. A text message is better than nothing. Amen? Amen. But, but, but a text message is, is not the most personal communication, right? I mean, a phone call is better than a text. Like, we're talking about old school phone calls, you know what I'm saying? Like, not, not video, but, but a video call is better than an old school phone call, right? In just terms of you can see the person, you can connect and read their, you know, body language and, and all of that. But there's nothing like, listen, there's nothing like being in the same room 
sitting around the same table, sharing your hearts together, spending time face to face. And this is what Paul desired with the Thessalonians. He wanted to be with them. He wanted to spend quality time together. And, and I want to just share a bit of perspective on church life for a moment in light of this, this idea of genuine love and the desire to be together. We, we not only gather in this room on Sundays, but we have online church, right? We have, we have live streaming that is, that is connecting with people all over our city, on, on Facebook, YouTube. And it is to make our worship accessible, especially, listen, if you're traveling, if you're sick, if you can't make it. And that's why we, we love technology. We want to continue to stream and even make improvements to our live stream. But there's nothing like being in the room together. We want to be together. We want to, we want to stay connected. You'll hear us all the time talk about at Redemption Hill. We don't only want to see people come on Sundays. We want to see people connect in relationship, to connect with groups and serve with teams where you can get to know people and walk together. We want to be in one another's lives enough that we can offer genuine love and genuine care for each other. And you may think, like I think sometimes, wow, there are so many people in this church. There are so many people to get to know, to, to, to care for. And that's true. But, but I love the principle of Galatians chapter 6, verse 10. Listen to what it says. It says, therefore, let us do good to everyone. That's our heart, right? You, you, you should want to do good to every person in the room, right? But then he says this, but especially the household of faith. And so what, what Paul is teaching there is, look, our heart is, should be to care for everyone, to love everyone, to, to know everyone as well as we possibly can. But at the same time, what? We are human beings, and I don't know about you, but sometimes I struggle with this like almost like a savior complex where it's like I've got to be everything to everyone all the time. And that's my heart, right? Like I want to know what's happening. I want to know what's going on. I want to know each one of you down to the depths of the details of your life. But I am one person. And so are you. This is so relevant to, 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 to relationships in the church, to, to group life, even to leadership, where our heart is to know and to care and to love as deep as possible with as many people as possible. But it is the responsibility, listen, of everyone to care for everyone, right? It's not on one person to care for the entire church. It's not on just a group of pastors. In fact, if you read the Bible closely, the reason God gives pastors is to equip everyone else for the work of ministry. It's not a ministry leader. Listen, Meg, our kids director, she loves every kid. She loves every family. But she can't keep up intimately with, you know, 40 families in our church, 80 kids. That's why we have a team. That's why we connect in community. Community group leaders, we all work together to care for one another. And I hope you see how important quality time is. Because what, is, what does Paul say? He says, I want to see you face to face, but there's a problem. There's a major problem. And what is that problem? Look at the end of 
verse 18, what does it say? But, see it? Satan hindered us. If, if you want to know how important quality time is, look to what Satan wants to disrupt. And we talk about this. Do you ever struggle to share your faith? Like you really care about the, the souls of people around you and you want them to know Jesus like you know Jesus and yet there's like this opposition where you know it's the moment of opportunity and you want to send that invite out or you want to say, hey, I know you're struggling with anxiety and I've been there, but God has helped me through that and given me peace. But it's like everything is coming against us to say those words. Friends, that is spiritual warfare. That is the work of Satan to keep us from doing the good things that God is leading us to do. And the same thing happens. Listen, we've all been there. Even Pastor Tanner has been there. Do you know that, hey, listen, we have four kids. I love this church. I work really, really hard. And there are times sometimes on Tuesday when I have had a full day and I've got up at 5.30 in the morning and I've spent my time with God and I've started early and I've had, you know, four meetings and I'm starting to prepare for even Sunday. And I get home and I have this thought, man, I wish I could just kind of take the night off. And it's not that, say, sometimes we need to take a night off, right? Sometimes it's, a, it's okay not to show up every Sunday or to every group. But we know that so often it's, it's not necessarily our need for rest that's driving our decision, but it is the work of the evil one to say, hey, you don't have to show up this Sunday. You don't have to, to go to group this Wednesday night. And what, what happens? We miss out on the blessing that God would have for us if we would come together. And, 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 and I want you to think about this too, okay? Satan hinders us from connecting because, I love this, he knows that we are doing more than just getting together to chat and eat some buffalo wings. You know what I'm saying? You feel me? It's, we, we are coming together to do the very things that we're talking about, to know one another, to care for one another's souls, to walk together, to encourage one another, to share life. And he wants to stop that. And so we, we, we see that genuine care for one another begins with genuine love. But then number two, it also must include spiritual vision. Spiritual vision. Look at verses 19 and 20. Paul goes on and he says, For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? And I love this. He says, Is it not you? He wants them to think about it. You. You are our hope, our joy, our crown of boasting. You are our glory and joy. And this whole picture here is, is evidence that Paul lived with spiritual vision. When you use the word spiritual, you see it in the Bible, we're really talking about what the Holy Spirit produces in us. That the Holy Spirit gives us an ability to see things that we would not otherwise see. And Paul lived with this kind of vision. If you remember last week, we were talking about the Jesus Marathon. Running the faith race, just like the Boston Marathon last week. And, and Paul, again, he alludes to a runner in the race. When, when we see Paul talk about hope, joy, 
crown of boasting, when we hear the word crown, what do we usually think of? Kings and queens, right? We think about Queen Elizabeth or Prince Charles's coronation coming up in a couple of weeks. But Paul, he's not talking about our position as royalty, as sons and daughters of God. Though, listen, please hear this today. You are royalty. If you are in Christ, you are royalty. You are sons and daughters of the king of the universe, and you are loved by God, and you are royalty. But Paul isn't talking about that here with the crown of boasting. What he's talking about is when in ancient games, when a runner would run a race, and they would cross the finish line first, they would get the victor's wreath which would be placed on the champion's head. And it was a crown of boasting. And this is what I'm getting chills just sharing this with you. That that Paul, he's saying, I'm running the race. And I'm giving it everything I've got. And when I reach the finish line, my greatest concern is not going to be the time on the clock. Did I make my personal best? Is the crowd going wild? Are there any more sponsorship deals for me to work out and sign some contracts to get some more money in my pockets? Paul says, I will cross the finish line. And I will say, where are my people? Where are my people? Where are the people that I invested in? Where are the people that I shared Jesus with? Where are the people that I taught the word of God, that I walked with, that I cared for, that I showed up when no one else was showing up? We walked together with encouragement and strengthening. This is the picture that we have here. Paul lived with this kind of vision to say, look, I understand that when someone, you need to hear this thing, when someone begins walking with Jesus, and they start the faith race, it's just the beginning. But the crazy thing about God is that God not only invites us to follow Jesus, but he invites us to follow Jesus that we might become like Jesus. I mean, in every area of your life, in every way, your thoughts, your desires, what you love, how you act, God wants to make us more and more and more and more like Jesus. And this doesn't happen in an instant. It happens, the word is, progressively. Paul had a spiritual concern for their spiritual progress. He knew, as as we talked about last week, it blows my mind, these professional Runners, which, by the way, it was wild. I couldn't wait to tell my daughter, Parker, because we watched the marathon together. This is so cool. Uh, we, were, we were hanging out with our new friends on Friday, and we get off the train at Assembly Row. And I kid you not, I see this dude that has glasses on. And I'm like, that dude was in the marathon. He was. And so if you know me, you know I'm going to go talk to him. <laughs> so I was like, hey, you were in the marathon, right? 
And, and I feel so bad. I forget his name. But, but he had like these, these professorial glasses, glasses on. Did you want to see him at the beginning of the race, right? And so I said, hey, you were in the marathon. He said, his wife, his kids with him. I was like, hey, we were cheering for you. You did amazing. He was so gracious, humble. He smiled. He said, thank you. And they got on the train with their Nike bags or whatever. But it was like, it was so cool. And these, these runners, these elite professional runners, they are clocking sub-five-minute miles for 26 miles of the race. It's incredible. And it was, it was such a picture. Even God was, was speaking to my heart last Sunday and then Tuesday at group. And, and I even shared with, with, uh, with Taylor um, that, 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 that I want to I work on my pace. As I run the race, I want to work on my pace, but I don't only want to work on the, my pace. I want to help others run at a faster pace. And this is, this is the, the joy of caring enough about people to care for their souls. That we're not just doing our thing, but we're caring about the people around us. And we're saying, how can I encourage them? How can I strengthen them? How can I offer them a, a, a piece of wisdom that is going to help them navigate this challenge? How can I tell them that while they're struggling with the, 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 the resistance of unforgiveness, have you ever been there? That, that there was a time in my life where I didn't want to forgive a person who had done me wrong, but I remembered the cross. And I said, I can forgive them because Jesus has forgiven me. And just to give them that word of encouragement from Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. And this is how God wants us to run together. He wants us to encourage one another because when we cross the finish line, we are going to say, these people, they were my hope. They were my joy. In other words, when we finish the race, we are having this confident expectation. That's what the word hope means, that there are going to be other people there with us that we did life with, that we invested in, that we led to the Lord. And not only that's our hope, but that's our joy. The word joy here refers to our hearts leaping at the goodness of God. That when you cross the finish line, there's going to be saying, there's joy in the house. Of the, right? It's like there's going to be joy for eternity. And what's going to make us so joyful is not, again, all of the shiny streets and the beauty of God's uh, good creation. But it's going to be, most of all, outside of the presence of God, the presence of people that we ran with and did life with. Paul says if you want to care enough to care about people's souls, first you need to have genuine love. Number two, you need to live with a spiritual vision. And then number three, you need to be ready to give timely encouragement. Timely encouragement. Encouragement. What, what we see here is that Paul's concern is that these followers of Jesus are in an environment that, quite frankly, is not the most hospitable. In fact, that's putting it a little too nicely, okay? They were in an environment where people were more than just not thrilled about the fact that they are saying Jesus is the king, but they were in a, a city where people ostracized them, oppressed them, didn't give them opportunities that everyone else had. They, they persecuted them. And, and we have evidence in this letter that some were even killed for their faith. And so Paul says, I, I, I know that you're going through it. 
I know that you're up against opposition. I know people are, are coming against you and you are suffering for your faith in Jesus Christ. And so I want to get back so I can check on you. I want to I get back to make sure that you are strong in your faith. We, we see this in verses 1 and 2. And then in verse 5, it's even more explicit. Look at verse 5. It says, for this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith. He uses the word faith. He talks about their faith five times in the first ten verses of chapter 3. And what he's, what he's saying is, look, our faith is not static. Our, our, our spiritual life is not just, you know, like always on one level. But, but there are times where we are really encouraged and there are times we are discouraged. There are times where we're really walking closely in the steps of Jesus and there are other times where we feel like we can barely take the next step. And that there is an enemy of our souls. Again, Satan is real and he is coming against us. And so Paul is saying, look, I want to make sure that you are continuing to run the race with endurance. And so what does he do? At sacrifice to himself, he sends Timothy. He says, look, I can bear it no longer. This is a matter of timing that he wants to learn about their faith in real time. And so he sends Timothy, why? It tells us in verse 2 that he might establish and exhort them in what? In their faith. So, so the word establish, it, it means to uh, strengthen. And then the word exhort means to encourage. And listen, it doesn't matter where you are. You could be the most spiritually mature person in the room. I'm here to tell you, listen, you need encouragement. You need to be strengthened. You may be really struggling right now in life and in your faith, and you already know, hey, I need some encouragement. I need some strengthening. And this is why the Bible is so clear. In Hebrews chapter 3, verse 13, it says, Let us encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today. Why? So that we will not be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. We need to take the time to not only to connect, but to have meaningful conversations where we encourage one another, where we're getting below the surface, where we're saying, hey, I've been there, and let me share some truth with you about who God is and how Jesus has worked in my life as well. I love how we see that, again, there's, such an honest encouragement that, that Paul is saying, look, it's going to be hard. I know you're suffering affliction. Just as we were run out of town, these people are still in Thessalonica, and they are not happy about the fact that you were following Jesus. And so we're going to send some help. We're going we're to make sure that you are encouraged as you continue to follow Christ. And so I, I want to give some honest encouragement this morning too. Following Jesus is not always easy. Sometimes we think we have this false notion that if I follow God, then my life is going to be perfect. 
If I follow Jesus, then I'm going to be shielded from all of the crazy things in the world. But what we find is that the same world that crucified Jesus is, is not always happy when we choose to follow him. And as we take step after step of faith that we have an enemy of our souls. Again, with one more piece of honesty, Paul says that I feared that somehow the tempter had tempted you and that our labor would be in vain. And so we need, to, we need to recognize Satan is real. He wants to trip us up. He wants to, to, to slow us down as we run the marathon race for Jesus, with Jesus. He wants to do everything he can to, to get us to take our eyes off of Christ. But listen, just as Satan is real and he has schemes, God has schemes too. God has a plan to keep us encouraged, to keep us moving forward. He has given us his Holy Spirit. He has given us his truth that sets us free. And he has put people around us to help us keep running the race. You may have heard that this week there's a, a conference in Copley Square. And people were saying that it will be the largest gathering of Satanists that has ever gathered in the world. Almost a thousand Satanists are coming to our city to, to, to have a, a conference and who knows? God only knows. God truly only knows what, what happens there. And you know, like we could, we have, we have a few ways that we can respond to that. We could ignore it and just say like, hey, God, you know, God's God. God's going to be in control. He's going he's to take care of that. Or we also could say, hey, I'm like so kind of freaked out by that that I want, don't even want to think about it. But there's a, there's a third response. It's to say, like, these are real people that are following the ways of our enemy. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray for them. Because I, I once actually followed Satan's ways rather than God's ways myself. I wouldn't have said I worship Satan, but in reality, I was living on his team and not God's team. So, so why, don't, why don't we pray for these people? We don't have to, to be afraid, but we can, we can actually show up and say, look, we've been changed by God's grace. And just have real conversations. So I want to encourage us, listen, as we, as we move forward with genuine love, with spiritual vision, ready to give timely encouragement, these are all opportunities to care enough about one another, to care for one another's souls. And you may say, well, Pastor Tanner, listen, uh, that's a great idea, but I'm not so great at that. I want to give you just one more piece of encouragement today. Caring is not complicated. It's really not. To care about someone, you need to show up you need to be present. Those are one and the same. And then you just like ask a genuine question. How are you doing? 
and you know because you are on the other side of that question where it's like you don't kind of share it all in the first response. You kind of downplay stuff. You kind of, it's just human nature. We just kind of stay on the surface, right? But then you follow that up with, how are you really? How are you really doing it? Are there, are there things going on in life that have you just excited and joyful? Are there things that are frustrating you and discouraging you? How, how's your relationship with the people around you? How's your relationship with God? We just ask genuine questions and we listen. And as God leads us, we, we share that genuine love. We offer that sincere encouragement. So I want to pray as we respond to God this morning, as we come to God again, that he would make us a church. That not only, yes, we care about our city. We love our city. We want everyone in Boston to know Jesus like we know him. But we also care deeply for one another. And so let's pray and let's ask God to help us get below the surface as we seek to do life together as a church family. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for all you are. God, we thank you for your care for us. And God, it's, it's our ask this morning that, that you would give us the faith to believe that you use ordinary people like us in the lives of other ordinary people as we run the Jesus faith race so that we'll be strengthened, so that we'll be encouraged, so that we will cross the finish line together and be so full of joy because you gave us the strength every step of the way and you used each other in one another's lives to help us get there. And so God, make us that kind of church, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.